Once upon a time, many years ago, shortly after I'd qualified as a doctor, I got a job as a GP. I'd always wanted to work as a GP and I'd worked in hospitals for just one year. This is a true story, by the way. In those days, young doctors were thrown in at the deep end when I sat down behind the desk to see my first patients. It was the first time I'd been in a doctor's surgery since I'd been poorly as a kid and my mum had taken me to see our GP. I can't remember what was wrong with me. I can only remember that the GP smoked a pipe and puffed at it constantly. So anyway, I sat down behind the desk and pressed a button which rang a bell in the waiting room and then I started to look for the forms I need in order to write prescriptions, sick notes and so on. I didn't have a clue which forms were for what. Things were different in those days. They were different in many ways. First, there was no appointment system. Patients didn't ring up to fix an appointment for a week, a fortnight or three weeks ahead. They just turned up in the morning or the afternoon of the day when they felt poorly. Five days a week and Saturday mornings. That was the first difference. Second, there were no computers. Everything was far, far more efficient. Medical records were kept on bits of cardboard in a little folder. The folder went where the patient went. The second difference was that if patients weren't well enough to make it to the surgery or were too frail to manage a bus journey, they could ring up or send a message if they didn't have a telephone and ask for the doctor to visit them at home. Lots of patients didn't have the telephone, by the way. I had some patients who didn't have electricity. You think I'm making this up, but I'm not. I once took a consultant cardiologist to visit a patient of mine in his home, in the patient's home, not the cardiologist's home. The cardiologist spent ages looking for a socket so that he could plug in his ECG machine. He was terribly disappointed when I told him there were no sockets because there was no electricity. The nice people had oil lamps and a coal fire. Sometimes, if the patient were elderly or very ill or had just come out of hospital, the doctor would call in anyway to see how things were. GPs even visited their patients when they were in hospital just to check up on things. This wasn't special or unusual, it was normal. I'm not talking about 100 years ago, I'm talking about the 1970s. Those of you who think I'm making this up should ask someone older, they'll confirm what I'm telling you. If you really want to know what it was like being a doctor, in the 1970s. I've written 15 books about a young country doctor in rural England. I found out as a young GP that I learned more about people if I saw them in their own surroundings. And you learn more about people when they aren't in a consulting room. There was a third big difference. Doctors didn't work the same sort of hours as accountants and librarians as they do now. When I was a hospital doctor, I worked ridiculous hours. When another junior doctor was on holiday, I once worked a 168-hour week. You can't do any more than that. Even when I was asleep, I was on call and I didn't sleep more than two or three hours at a time. It didn't kill me, though. And as a GP, I worked hours that would be considered ridiculous these days. GPs used to provide a 24-hour service for 365 days a year. You could ring your GP at any time of the day or night, weekends and bank holidays included, and he or she or a partner would come and visit. It would almost certainly be a doctor you knew or had seen before. At night, I'd ask patients to turn on all the lights in their home so that I could find their house quickly and easily. A doctor could take the patient's little cardboard records folder with him so that he was up to date and could add in anything new. Brilliantly simple. The record cards never seemed to get lost and they never had an outage or a virus or got hacked. I have to say... 
that doing the nighttime visits was one of the best bits of being a GP, driving home at 4am, having helped someone out of, for example, a bad attack of asthma, it was impossible not to feel content. It was the only time in my life when I was up and around to see the sunrise. And there was one other thing. Doctors were very independent-minded in those days. They didn't take kindly be to being told what to do by bureaucrats and politicians. But then things changed and everything went wrong. It was the beginning of Agenda 21, though I didn't realise it at the time. The start of the new world order, the very beginning of the new normal. Out with the old, out with tradition and in with the new. The bureaucrats and the rule makers buggered up everything. They insisted that GPs introduced appointment systems and they created a healthcare system where patients are the least important element. Britain, incidentally, was probably affected more than anywhere else in the world when this happened because Britain used to have the best GP service anywhere. You could see your GP at any time of day or night, every day of the year, just with a phone call. Britain's gone from having the best family doctor service anywhere to have what, having what's probably the worst. GPs still do night calls in other countries, I'm told. Today, the only place you're likely to come face to face with your GPs on the golf course. In various books of mine, I've written before about how things went wrong. New rules about working hours and the sense, end of a sense of vocation among young doctors all destroyed what we had. Doctors who retired were unable to keep their licences because of bureaucracy, thereby depriving the community of years of wisdom and caring skills. This probably sounds mad, but it was, of course, all part of the plan to reduce the quality of health care and to kill people. The service provided by GPs in many countries, but particularly the UK, has been deteriorating for years, but it reached the pits in the early part of 2020, when many GPs pretty well closed their doors for no reasons other than misplaced fear, trust in drug company-inspired government lies, and, I'm afraid, good old-fashioned laziness. If GPs had examined the evidence about COVID-19, they'd have seen through the tissue of lies deliberately and wickedly spread by politicians and advisers around the world. And, of course, they'd have seen the truth about the experimental jabs, which I've, I have... For, many months now said will kill far, far more people than the rebranded flu. From March 2020, the service provided by most GPs, family doctors in the UK, has varied between appalling and virtually non-existent. Hospital care has been cut back because of pseudo-scientific social distancing rules and pointless and damaging lockdowns. But it's the GP service which has really been destroyed by GPs themselves. Could doctors really be so stupid as to believe the nonsensical statistics provided by the government and its advisers? Were GPs cowed by the government's threats that anyone who spoke out would lose their job and their licence to practice? If that were the case, then those doctors should have been hounded out of their jobs and forced to retrain as traffic wardens. Or were many of those doctors simply lazy and eager to grab a chance to enjoy a long, well-paid holiday from their responsibilities? During the cold winter months, Patients who were allowed an appointment, usually with an assistant or a nurse of some kind, were forced to wait outside in the rain and cold. Was this part of the culling process? Nothing would surprise me. Relatives were told that they could not accompany patients. This wasn't science or medicine. It was politicised black magic. 
Doctors complained that their 40-hour working week was too onerous. There was talk of GPs working one day a week because of the stress of the job. The establishment supported this. It was no, by no means the first time that doctors have done crazy things because they were told to do them. Doctors deliberately removed yards of intestine from patients because they were told it would help them. Other doctors removed or destroyed part of the human brain because they thought it would eradicate mental illness. Millions of patients became hooked on the hideously addictive benzodiazepine drugs because doctors told they were safe and effective and then ignored the evidence and prescribed them by the lorry load. After March 2020, GPs in the UK started to demand that patients consult via the telephone or the internet. The evidence shows clearly that this is an impossible way to practice proper medicine. Diagnoses are missed and the death rate in the next year or two will rocket as a result. Patients are so disillusioned that they don't bother calling their GP, not because they're afraid of COVID, but because they know that the service provided is damn near useless and virtually non-existent. When the NHS bosses in the UK suggested that, that GPs should see more patients face-to-face -face instead of insisting on the phone or the internet, the British Medical Association, the Doctors' Trade Union, responded by complaining that the change was a reaction to media coverage, quote, rather than based on the needs of the profession. Needs of the profession. Does anyone in the BMA or the medical establishment give a damn about the needs of patients? I doubt it. And yet, miraculously, GPs in the UK managed to see their patients when they were giving thousands of COVID-19 jabs at £12 something per jab. Indeed, the rush to push needles into innocent and ignorant members of the public has been another excuse for the fact that GPs can't provide a halfway decent service for their patients. In the UK, there were between 25 and 27 million fewer appointments with GPs between March and August 2020. 25 to 27 million fewer appointments than there are in a normal year. What were all those GPs doing? Hiding behind the sofa? How many million people will die because of that? The basic problem is that today's medical schools teach half-truths. They never teach students how to think or criticise the system. After all, what system is going to teach people to question itself? Students are educated by rote, taught in a way that dogs are taught tricks. Wisdom is a disadvantage, common sense is eradicated, young doctors are incapable of making informed decisions, and that suits the pharmaceutical industry just fine. If you don't question perceived notions, then how do you ever learn? How does a profession ever progress? Young doctors are never exposed to the truth or to the questioning of accepted beliefs or to proper debate with people like me. Because of my habit of questioning authority, I used to be invited to speak at medical and nursing schools. No more. So medical schools churn out pl platoons of unquestioning prescription-signing zombies. Originality is a dirty word. Good doctors need insight, imagination and intuition and the capacity to make diagnostic leaps, sideways if necessary. Good doctors need to be able to observe and they need to be able to think. Great discoveries are invariably made by outsiders and mavericks. Such skills are not simply not encouraged, they are now not allowed. As a result, the medical profession is packed with drudges 
unthinking, too frightened of losing their jobs to show any spirit. Today's doctors don't have the courage to question the establishment or to have original ideas because they're employed and like all other employees, they're frightened of losing their jobs. Moreover, NHS doctors are employed by the government. They're civil servants. Today's doctors are bought body, mind and soul and they don't seem to have the courage to stand up for whatever principles they might have. They don't dare disagree with their administrative bosses because they're hired hands. They don't dare stick up for their patients because they live in fear of bureaucratic censure. And so they vaccinate and they perform unnecessary operations and they prescribe drugs which they know are unsafe. Tonsils and lengths of intestine are ripped out by surgeons who don't seem to have the foggiest notion of the harm they're doing. Healthy breasts are slashed off unnecessarily. Doctors don't have the courage to stand up for their patients because they've lost their independence. They're simply civil servants. They've sold their souls for a fat salary, short working hours and a wonderful pension. They're so beholden to their employees, employers, that they dare not even stand up to bullying. They don't even speak out when they see things happening which they know in their hearts are wrong. Their spirits have curdled. The modern medical establishment elevates its official beliefs into an orthodoxy, always suggesting that they're right because they are, well, right. And the absence of evidence is not to be allowed to interfere with the acceptance of the conclusions. This is tabloid science. For example, the supporters of vaccination deal with opposition not by debate, but by denouncing anyone who disagrees. It's the same approach as is used by global warming advocates. Critics armed with science are demonised in the same way as critics of the climate change nonsense are demonised and dismissed as flat earthers or global warming deniers. Anyone who disagrees with the establishment is a dangerous heretic to be excluded from all debates and condemned and isolated. Science in general and the medical profession in particular have been hijacked by politically correct lobbyists, dissenters daring to question the new orthodoxy of the groupthink obsessionals are guilty of thought crime and to be vilified and suppressed. Groupthink unoriginality oppresses and suppresses. Any doctor who doesn't stick to the rules will be refused a license and prevented from practising. I've been warning for years that any doctor who opposes questions or in any way criticises vaccination will be removed from the medical register before you can say scientific bigotry and it's happening. It's today more dangerous for a doctor to be ahead of his time, which is to say critical of well-established but ill-advised and dangerously nonsensical medical practices, than it is for him to be behind his time. The doctor who dares to criticise the acknowledged mainstream is still a dangerous heretic who must be crushed. Over the last four, five decades, I've made many forecasts about medical hazards. Most have already been proved entirely accurate, but accuracy is no defence against ridicule, abuse, scorn and scepticism. Indeed, since being correct makes the authoritarians fearful, the ridicule, abuse, scorn and scepticism are enhanced. No part of the mainstream media or the important internet platforms would now allow me to say any of these things. They've been preparing for the global reset for many years. For example, in the world of medicine, the common purpose controlled medical establishment has for years now been suppressing dissent and debate, especially on issues which might prove essential for the development of the new world order. 
All this perhaps explains why doctors have stayed so silent when they should have spoken out. And it explains why so many doctors are still not seeing patients face-to-face for ordinary consultations, but are giving experimental jabs without looking at the evidence and questioning the rationale. It explains why mortality rates from cancer and heart disease are going to soar in the coming years. That's not a difficult prediction to make. And it explains why so many doctors of my age and experience are ashamed of the medical profession they see now. Is it going to change? Are things going to improve? Only if we insist on change. It's up to us. Doctors are too happy with the present state of affairs. They're doing very little work and making tons of money. Thank you for watching An Old Man in a Chair. Please subscribe to my channel on Brand YouTube and share my videos on other platforms such as BitChute, Brighton and so on. Many thanks to those who do share my videos and help spread the truth. Please do translations too. And thanks as always to Mohammed Butt and Brand YouTube for providing the platform. For the record, this channel has not been monetized. None of my videos ever has been. There are no ads, no sponsors and no requests for funds. Don't forget to watch my friend Dr. Colin Barron's amazing videos, which are wonderful. Watch the UK column. Look at 21stCenturyWire.com. And please visit my new website, vernoncolman.org, and the old website, vernoncolman.com, is still there. Both have hundreds of articles, and on .org, vernoncolman.org, you can get to the videos. Finally, although it may feel like it at times, please remember, you are not alone. More and more people are waking up, and once they've woken, they don't go back to sleep. If we're going to win this war, then we have to fight it with the truth. We have to fight hard. We have to fight with determination and understanding and passion. Distrust the government. Avoid mass media. Fight the lies. And thank you for watching an old man in a chair. <laughs>